Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll be reading from today's passage, verses 1 through 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you um, underneath the seat. Hear now God's word. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, or of the darkness. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, Happy New Year to you all. And may God sustain this church continually this new year uh, by his mercy, grace, and power. Looking forward to a really uh, thriving and and a year, 2022, of growth spiritually and growing in the likeness of Christ through the power of his spirit. And may we resolutely cherish his word this year for our nourishment and growth. With or without resolutions, uh, we need to abide in him and by and through his holy word. We don't need to invent anything new or any new program, but we just continue to grow through God's ordinary means of grace. This is my prayer for us, for you all, and may you also be praying this this year. Now, we haven't been in 1 Thessalonians for several weeks weeks as we went through our Christmas season. But if you remember, we were last in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, several weeks ago. And just as a recap and a summary, the Thessalonians in that church were concerned about Christ's imminent return. They were anxious, uh, fearful that those who had already died would miss this opportunity to be with Christ that they've missed the boat, so to say. And so the Apostle Paul taught them yet again that when Christ returns, all of God's people will be caught up with him in the air. We call this the rapture. The first priority is given to those that have died and then those who are left on earth at that time who are believers will also be with Christ when he returns. A beautiful statement that Christ will be with us forever was the encouragement. And the main point of that passage was not to figure out the minute details of how this will all be or come to fruition, but with this last verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he concludes, therefore encourage one another with these words. That was the main point, is for encouragement. The whole excursion into speaking about the end is that believers who are resting in Christ alone should not be fearful, you should not be anxious, you should not be worried, but encouraged. Because again, verse 17 says, we will always be with the Lord. We also taught that the second coming of Christ was to be one final return, not two stages of a final return, but one final advent of Jesus, where we'll be raptured up with Christ, the culmination of our salvation and deliverance, the resurrection of the bodies will occur, judgment will ensue on those that do not believe, and the finality of all things will come to a conclusion. Some theologians and traditions, even in our era today, have taught that the day of Christ and the day of the Lord are actually two separate things. But 
we don't believe that this is so. This is simply cleared up in Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians. You don't have to turn there, but that he refers to both as one and the same event. Second, second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He's talking about the coming and the day of the Lord Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord as one and the same event. And so Paul now continues to speak on this final event in history in the beginning here of chapter 5 as he introduces the important biblical phrase, the day of the Lord. He didn't really mention that previously, but now in verse 2 he says this. And so to help track us uh, to help us track along, uh, if we could put up the slide there for my three headings for today's passage, they all surround the theme of the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord, number one, is both jubilant and full of terror. The day of the Lord is both sudden and expected. And finally, number three, the day of the Lord involves both children of light and children of darkness. And why do I use the word both in all the headings? It's because in the end, in the finality of all things, two simultaneous things will happen that are opposite experiences. There won't be any neutral or middle ground. Two simultaneous experiences for two distinct groups of people. And we'll explain this as we go along. But here is our first heading. The day of the Lord is both jubilant and full of terror. Look at your Bibles again, chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. I'll stop there. Again, Paul has already spoken and taught the Thessalonians about all this when he was with them before. Remember, he planted the church with Silas and Timothy. Persecution arose, so they, had, they were sent by the brothers quickly up north to the city in, in Corinth. Uh, excuse me, south into, into Corinth. And so he hasn't been back with them physically yet, but he's saying, hey, remember, you were, you were already taught this when we were with you. But these Thessalonians were still anxious. They were concerned about those that had already died. That was addressed uh, uh, several weeks ago in chapter 4. New Testament writers referred to this as fallen asleep. Paul addressed that already. But now Paul moves to encourage them that they will be covered and protected as God's children if they are indeed worried about how, how should we prepare? If Jesus is coming back soon again, how do we prepare? How do we get ready for this? Or Paul is saying, if you're anxious about figuring out when this will all happen, let me reassure you continually here in chapter 5. One theologian wrote, Paul's theology was that the only certainty about the timing of the parousia, which just means Advent, second coming, is that we don't have any certainty <laughs> about the timing of the parousia. But these thriving, remember, this thriving church of chapter 1, growing in faith, love, and hope, the thriving and growing Christians should remember what they've already been taught. The times and seasons there in verse 1 was just a summarizing expression back then of figuring out when this will all take place. Some of them were obsessed about it, trying to figure out the day, perhaps even the hour and the minute 
But what Paul definitely stands by, as another scholar points out, is that the day of the Lord is inevitable, but it will remain unpredictable. As Paul says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, the phrase and analogy of the thief in the night in regards to Christ's return, who, who used that term? Of course, it was our Savior Jesus when he was on earth. Matthew 24, 43, Luke 12, verse 39, and then Paul here in chapter 5, and then Peter, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 through 10. But don't take the analogy too far as an, oh, a thief is an immoral person, someone doing wrong. Why would Jesus compare himself to that? But the focus is on the unexpected nature of the return of Christ, that nobody can predict when this would take place. Just like when I lived in the city for many years, my catalytic converter, for those of you guys who know cars, was stolen from underneath my mini SUV about three to four, maybe five times. I lost count and track. And they would, uh, because the SUV was a little bit higher off the ground in the middle of the night, they had these power tools and there was Chicago Tribune, all these news articles that this is just rampant and that it takes two and a half minutes for someone to just make two simple cuts and run away with the catalytic converter that had some type of precious metal inside of that. It happened so often that my mechanic started putting in really, really inexpensive used parts so that the thieves would say, oh, this is Robin's car. <laughs> We're going to move on. It didn't really work, but that's another story for another time. Or when I was a youth group student, and I was in a phase of listening to a lot of Christian artists of that day, such as Stephen Curtis Chapman, DC Talk, Michael Card, Keith Green, so forth. I didn't have CDs back then. They were cassettes for you young folks. But one night, I, or I can't remember exactly when, what time of the day, my fellow youth group students and I went out, and I went to hang out, and I, I left my car in that public parking lot, and I returned to the astonishment that someone got into my car somehow. And you know what they stole? They only stole one thing all my Christian cassette tapes. We were so puzzled. We, we kind of joked, you know, perhaps this person will get converted <laughs> listening to all those and then return it to me <laughs> 30 years later or something. But anyway, you get the picture. I didn't expect that. A thief does not announce beforehand when and where this will take place. This will be wholly unexpected. And a lot of people have spoken about their experiences with burglaries in their homes, not having any idea of what took place even until the next morning that they notice. Well, sadly, since this time in the early church and through the centuries that have passed, especially recent centuries, many people, some churches, some overly obsessed Christians wanted to figure out, well, that's not good enough, the thief in the night. I want to know exactly when. Not just what year, but what month, what day. Perhaps some of them said, what hour. And a really sad story of a, a church member in Philadelphia when I served in th there was that his father abandoned his family and said, I think Jesus is coming next year, so I'm going to live with all these other people that expect this. And they all left their families. And the day that they expected went and gone, but their families 
ruined, of course. Or predictions over the centuries of moving from one day to the next day to the next, and people always being so shocked that Jesus didn't return, but always having hope that this special guru had all the answers. But Jesus, Paul, Peter, all of them say, you cannot predict this. But before this phrase is used, Paul notes, you yourselves, if you see in verse 2. Paul says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord is going to happen this way. This should not be a surprise to you. Or as one theologian translates this verse, you know perfectly well that no one knows. So what exactly is the day of the Lord then? We don't know when, but we know that it will, it's inevitable that it will come. Well, we could put up that slide there. What is the day of the Lord? Just some summarizing points. We could make a longer, much longer list than this to explain. But here are just some summarizing points. The day of the Lord was the day or final event that is prophesied many times from the Old Testament. And we later learn that this will be Jesus' second coming to earth to bring the third point, the finality of all things on earth. And as Larry Sachs prayed earlier, a judgment on sin, on evil, on rebellion, but also final victory. Final victory and deliverance of God's people when Jesus returns. A lot of reference in the Old Testament was this day of the Lord will bring destruction and judgment to the nations. Ezekiel 30 says doom to the nations. And actually for the Israelites, that brought a lot of comfort to them. One author noted, it's funny how the thought is usually about others being judged and not yourself. But in Amos chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, very quickly. Amos chapter 5, the prophet provides a sobering warning to not consider your own heart and status before the Lord. And to not eagerly say, oh, I can't just wait for the day of the Lord to come without checking your own soul. So Amos 5 verse 18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. And the imagery continues of a lion chasing a man in chapter 5, only to get to his home and thinking, Oh, I've escaped it, and putting his hand on the wall, the text says, and then being bitten by a snake. It's unescapable, the doom that is to come. And then in Amos 5, verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And so back to the original heading, if we can go back to those headings, the day of the Lord is both jubilant and full of terror. Well, this is the terror part. The day of the Lord will be darkness to those who are perishing. One theologian likens this not to an annihilation of the unbeliever, but an an eternal and final separation from God. That's actually worse than being annihilated. To live for all of eternity finally and fully separated from God, their destruction is separation. That is called hell. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 36 to 37, compares the day of the Lord to judgment in Noah's day during the flood. I'm just going to read a little bit of that. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, but even the angel, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. But as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Later in verse 39, he says, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The jubilant part of the, number, the first heading of the second coming of Jesus was already referenced to in the previous passage about being with the Lord always for eternity, but also in the promise of one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1.6, and the Father's role in this too, where Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That day of Jesus Christ is when he returns. Our sanctification will be complete with Jesus' second coming. We will be yet without sin completely. No more death, no more pain, no more disease, no more suffering. No more rebellion or sin in our hearts. Complete sanctification and holiness. That good work the Father started in us will be completed when Jesus returns. So again, let's go back to that first heading, uh, our slide for the first heading. You can get that, Cal. Is the day of the Lord is both jubilant and full of terror. Second is now the day of the Lord is both sudden and expected. Alarmingly sudden for unbelievers and jubilantly expected from those that belong to the Lord. Look at verse 3 with me. While Jesus, uh, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Some say the phrase there is that peace and security, that was a common Roman expression 2,000 years ago when there was peace because of living under the empire's rule. But here's a vivid warning to any church that seeks to find peace because of a nation's prowess or power instead of the peace and security that comes from only Christ alone. Paul is saying, when the day of the Lord comes, those that do not place their faith in Christ may try to run away and hide, but none will escape this final wrath of God. The comparison to childbirth is not so much about labor pains in itself, but about the suddenness of contractions. Once that starts, there's no going back and so forth. And so Jesus alludes to this image back in Matthew 24 again. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, listen carefully, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Not that Jesus was teaching any of those normal things or activities, life activities were wrong in itself, themselves. But this is a picture of those that had not a thought about God. Some of you might remember Psalm 10, verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. So these people in Noah's day were so consumed with life on earth and disregarded God completely that they were not prepared for the suddenness of God's judgment coming to them in the form of the flood. Basically, if you don't have saving faith, this will be so sudden and so destructive. I find that phrase, peace and security, that language daunting but also fascinating. Humans strive, I think, innately almost, that we could achieve some utopian ideal. But that will never be, be because of sin 
and evil in the world and, and our besetting sins and our, even our own hearts. That will never be until Christ returns. Some of you might have heard of the famous well-known Christmas truce during World War I in 1914. Really a gracious story, if this truly happened, of an unofficial truce on the Western Front when British soldiers and German opposing soldiers, they made merry on Christmas Day with dancing and celebrating. There was even rumors of a, of a casual soccer game that took place in the neutral no man's territory just for that Christmas Day where they could put away their weapons and spend a day of normalcy together. But imagine if in history that changed and some things horrible and terrible played out while they said, oh, peace and security, at least just for that day, that a sudden, brutal sneak attack brought destruction to either of those sides. This is the picture being set up about the end of all days. Destruction and judgment will be sudden to those who oppose the Lord and will come at a time where the sentiment of the world will be, quote, all is well. And so peeking into the end of next verse, verse 4, for believers, this will be a joyful expectation fulfilled. This won't be a suddenness, as in, of course, there will be an emotional, oh my goodness, this is, this is happening right now, but with the anchored comfort and joy to say, yes, finally, our king has come. And so this segues into our final heading. The day of the Lord is both jubilant and full of terror. The day of the Lord is both sudden and expected. And finally, the third heading, the day of the Lord involves both children of light and children of darkness. Look in your Bibles, if you can, verse 4 through 5. What a transition of amazing hope. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Caleb, if you could put up that slide there. Or if you notice, if you see the slide, there almost seems to be a chiastic structure here. A chiasm is, is simply a, a literary device meant to bring more attention, more emphasis or focus on separate themes or phrases. So usually, especially in the ancient context, it didn't happen everywhere, um, but people would write this way to bring out more emphasis, in this case, identity. And so if this was Paul's attention or not, you can at least see on the screen there that he wrote this in a way to emphasize the distinct difference between the identity of children of light versus children of darkness. And so usually in Achaism, it's theme A is followed by repeated theme B, theme B, and then it bookends with going back to theme A. But if you look at the Achaism here, there is no middle ground. You cannot be a child of neutrality. You cannot be a child, someone just stuck in the middle. Jesus says this too, either you're a child of God or a child of Satan. No middle ground. People often caricature being a child of Satan with growing horns on your head or having many pitchforks. Rather, the Bible describes children of darkness as those who want nothing to do with the Christ and his saving finished work, wanting nothing to do with God himself. Now, if you look up in a good Greek dictionary, 
you'll find that the terms light and darkness in a biblical theological sense means more than, of course, a literal reference to light and dark. For instance, light or of the day usually represents in scripture, this dictionary said, the sphere dominated by righteousness and goodness, especially the realm of the allies of God, end quote. As opposed to darkness or the night usually represents in scripture, quote, the sphere dominated by evil, sinfulness, and ignorance of God and his ways. Now, before we get too haughty in our own eyes, the only way we become children of the day, children of light, is not out of our goodness, not of our, out of our initiation or track record, but solely by the saving, regenerating, and intervening work of God and his spirit. But just like the last passage at the end of chapter 4, Paul brings such encouragement to these new believers in Thessalonica. Look at the tense there. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, he is saying, that you don't have to be afraid because you know full well Jesus will return for you and you are all children of light. He doesn't say, please aspire. Before we get back to you someday, Lord willing, see you face to face, aspire to be children of the light and hopefully you can get in. Hopefully you'll be good enough. Hopefully we can approve no, he doesn't say that. He says, you are all children of the light and children of the day because he's already gotten reports from Timothy that they are walking and growing and reflecting true fruitfulness of those who belong to the Lord. You are, you are, you are. And so he says, stay, encourage. And so finally, that segues into our application then. What shall then be our response? How do we apply this today, this week, 2022? Well, I just really quickly, several points there. First is growing in biblical assurance versus relying on false assurance. What do I mean by that? The Thessalonians thought, oh, Jesus is coming again. We need a have a special new preparation. It's kind of almost like a New Year's resolution. What is the new special diet or exercise regime that I'm going to go through? Oh, Jesus is coming again. So I, I need to pay $100 to find some manual or some book to prepare myself spiritually or to level up, so to say. But Paul is saying that is so not the case. How shall we actually see if we are in the Lord? Well, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Well, the fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians, bearing good fruit because our trees are remade at the root and declared righteous based on the finished work of Christ and our faith and trust in him for salvation. That will be evidenced in the life lived. But truly, assurance comes from faith in him alone. That's how you grow in biblical assurance. You go back to the object of your faith, who is Christ. For us, false assurance is likened to the Pharisees of their day, thinking, oh, it's my moral works, my moral standing in society, going to the temple every day. Today, maybe equivalent is going to church on the Sunday or mere religious activities for the sake of looking busy and active and religious. Those things don't save you. Those things don't make you children of light, only faith in Christ alone. There is no special manual. There is no uber-Christian. There is no, oh, I have the secret. 
to being prepared for the end times. It's over and over, segue into Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says in saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is how you prepare. It's not a once in a lifetime, repent and believe and I'm good. I'm going to live the rest of my life just however I want to live and go whichever way the impulse takes me. But it's continually repenting and believing in the good news and the finished work of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we prepare. But brothers and sisters, we all know this. Life is a struggle. Oh, our faith can strengthen but also be weakened. And so we need to be encouraged and reminded over and over of our status as children of the light, just like Paul is doing so with these young but flourishing and thriving Christians. Oh, repent and believe. Remember the gospel. There is no special way. Just heed God's word and believe. And finally, the last application that is walking as children of light. Walking as children of light. What do we do with our lives? Well, we walk as children of light and not darkness. The Apostle John helps us so much in 1 John 1, 5 through 9, where he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, walking in the light is believing and trusting and reveling in the work of Christ and walking and abiding in him all our days. But it's also to be brutally upfront with God. Notice how walking in the light is acknowledging I'm a sinner. Walking in the light, some people might misinterpret saying, I gotta get my act together. I can never ever make a mistake. Walking in the light is saying, oh Lord, I have fallen. I have taken a misstep. I confess my unrighteousness to you and the promises that he will forgive us. He who is faithful, he who is the righteous one to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness, who covers all our besetting sins. And so we go to the light of Christ continually believing and repenting until he comes again. That's walking in the light, walking as children of God, walking as children of the day. And so when the Lord finally does come, and perhaps in our lifetime, who knows? We don't know. To say, yes, our King has come. And yes, the light has consumed me, has saved me. And I, will, I have walked in this way. And the fruition of that is our final salvation and deliverance. I'll just conclude by that last encouragement from chapter 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul continually encourage them. I want to continually encourage you. You need to continually encourage me and one another of these words, not to figure out and obsess all the minute details, but that are you a children of light or are you still remaining in darkness? Oh, flee the darkness. As we sang earlier, for, for the truth to overcome unbelief 
as we look across this region this year, as we increase our efforts to say, who are the lost among us, O God? Oh, may truth overcome unbelief. But for me, I will be encouraged by these words, that I am his and he is mine, and children, a child of light. In Revelation chapter 2, one of the final verses says, when Jesus says he will come again soon, the response is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, all glory be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. In just such a short letter and short epistle, we find encouragement after encouragement about growing in faith, hope, and love, about not worrying about all the details of the end time, but just to revel in the truth and the fact that we belong to you and not to Satan, that we belong to the light and not to the darkness, all because of the work of you, God. Nothing, not even one ounce from us, but all from you. And so I think, Lord, as we enter into this new year, we all need this encouragement as we look across in this world and we find darkness around us, but also spots of sin and darkness and even in our own hearts that we battle with every day. Help us to be encouraged to continue to walk in the light, to walk in the truth of the Son, Jesus Christ. And may we with vigor, may we with great intention, oh, not only encourage one another, but proclaim the sweet good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who do not know you yet, so that when you do return, that they can also be children of light and not of darkness. We pray this in the saving work in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.